Welcome, listeners, to www.ironradio.org, the website and podcast for all things strength sports and sports nutrition. With your hosts, Lonnie Lowry. Remember, Phil is like a gnarled old oak tree held together with scar tissue and bone spurs. Rob Fortney. And I'm telling you, the pain that I would suffer was beyond excruciating. And Phil Stevens. Do it, Rob. You'll kill all those nerves. Thanks for listening. Good morning, everybody. Go to strengthguild.com, S-T-R-E-N-G-T-H-G-U-I-L-D.com. Scroll down to the Iron Radio Collections, and we've got new shirts and new banners for you to support the show. Everything from just a regular banner, regular shirt, to ones with sayings on them, like Lonnie's Phil is like a gnarled old oak tree shirt. And some news for you, we're going to have some contests for people who own these shirts and things. So if you support the show, we'll let you more on that later. So if you get in on these early, you can be one of the first people to win some prizes. So, thank you very much. Go check out the site, strengthguild.com. Scroll down to Iron Radio Collections and support the show. Welcome, Iron Radio listeners. This is Lonnie Lowry. I'm an exercise physiologist, and I'm a nutritionist, and I'm a former competitive bodybuilder. Hey, it's Dr. Mike T. Nelson. I'm owner of the Extreme Human Performance Flex Diet Certification, faculty member at the Kerrig Institute, and uh, just wrapping up teaching at Rocky Mountain University, Georgia Southern. And I was in Costa Rica yesterday morning at 5 o'clock, did some training, had breakfast, and I got home at midnight last night. So I made it back. And here you are. Yeah. And it's cold. <laughs> <laughs> right. Oh, right. What a what a climate shock for you. Yeah, I wake up in the morning. I'm like, oh, where am I? Oh, snow outside. Oh, it's cold, too. <laughs> right. It must be home. must be Minnesota. <laughs> must be home. <laughs> <laughs> it, it is true. There's one thing, and I, of course, I don't travel as much as you do, but it's always weird. Sometimes I'll wake up somewhere, and I'll be like, you know, I'm looking out at the ocean or something, and I'm like, I'm going to go to bed in my own bed tonight on the other side of the world, you know, and it just, Oh yeah. such crazy craziness. Yeah. Um, anyway, everybody, we have at least a brief show for you today as far as, well, here's me saying brief. Mike and I tend to ramble (laughs) when Phil's not around over an hour. (laughs) Uh, we're going to share, uh, some mail and news, um, just for your holiday listening, uh, because of course, Christmas uh, is going to happen between now and next Saturday when we record again. Uh, But we're going to talk about deep winter weight gain after the break. Uh, I thought it'd be a good time because Phil so much doesn't want to be part of that conversation right now (laughs) because of his (laughs) his unbridled weight gain recently. Uh, But we will talk about some of the things that are just available this time of year uh, that you could strategize with and put on some mass. So... Let's start with a mail from Dan, and I printed this, and it's hard to read, so um, forgive me for pausing if I, if I do here. Basically, he says, um, good morning, uh, big fan of Iron Radio. You guys are my intellectual heroes. Uh, thank you for everything you do. I'm 42. Uh, I have a BS in exercise science and an MBA. Um, he, basically, he says, I'm looking for advice. I've lost my passion for training others. Uh, but I still enjoy training myself as well as learning. You know, so hashtag respect there, Dan. Um, yeah. Basically, he says uh, the advice he's looking for is what other uh, medical-related fields would you suggest for someone like myself? And I thought this might be uh, instructional for a lot of people because there are hundreds of fields. Some of them are scientific. Some are medical slash clinical uh, for people who are, they don't necessarily want to be a coach. I mean, a lot of people like that solitary path. They train themselves, but they don't always evolve into coach, right? So, or or continue training others. Uh, what are your thoughts on this, Mike? Some possibilities for listeners like this? Yeah, as you mentioned, I mean, it could be more on the clinical side since his background is in exercise physiology underneath. And then I mean, my first thought, too, was even something outside of that that people may not be thinking about would be even medical devices. I worked there for about 12 years, and it's an interesting field because it's kind of a hybrid of engineering and physiology. So 
So depending on what departments, like the I worked in Leeds Design, so little wires that run down in the heart. I primarily work for a company that made pacemakers and implantable defibrillators. And <clears throat> most of those people there had a, a master's in engineering. But if you had some physiology, that was definitely helpful. Um, I was kind of the go-between between the engineering department and the marketing department for a while, since I had a fair amount of physiology and I had a master's in mechanical engineering. And some of the people in marketing, especially new product planning, which they're trying to have more interface with physicians and get more uh, testing, you know, most of them had at least an MBA, but a lot of them had like an exercise phys or nursing um, underground, or I'm sorry, underground, undergrad uh, type degree. So that might be an option too. Again, I'm not sure what the, the hiring practices are, but my bias again was that especially some people in marketing who didn't have any background at all in that was, it was sometimes harder just to explain to them even just the complexity of physiology and some of the different intricacies in in the field that if you have that as an undergrad, I think that would be an advantage. So that may be something that's a little bit outside the normal realm that he could possibly check into. That's uh, that's good advice. I mean, if you understand the human body, you can definitely bring something to the table, whether it's um, a food company. I mean, my background, of course, yeah. isn't like wires into the heart, but I've worked with some pharmaceutical companies and nutrition and supplement companies and that sort of thing. And um, yeah, it, it, it's much needed, but it would be a real challenge to be that interface with marketing because as Mike and I have talked about before many times, there's sometimes a conflict there, right? The marketing people are about bottom line even if it means fudging stuff a little bit or things don't have to be as accurate as a scientist might want, right? I mean, science people are always giving caveats. Well, only at this dose and only with this frequency or this amount of number of weeks, you know, and that or washout period or, and the marketers don't always care about that, you know? So, and again, at least that's my experience with some of the, the, the nutrient stuff, but yeah. yeah. I would say that's especially true in supplement field. Uh, right. <laughs> I mean, no consulted doubt. for a few sub couple supplement companies that oh boy the stuff you hear there is really crazy <laughs> it really is because oftentimes they're more eager to make exaggerated claims and that sort of thing um at least in my experience right so yeah. and it's just not as regulated i mean obviously medical devices are much more highly regulated than supplements right. yes supplements are still regulated but right. the people in the supplement field a lot of times as you know lani are not even necessarily from an academic background a lot of times. They're just people who really enjoyed it and started doing stuff, and then they try to surround themselves with other people who may or may not necessarily call them on all their wacky claims. There's no doubt. I mean, <laughs> real food, I mean, big food, like just like big pharma, that stuff is very tightly regulated. So, uh, yeah, and then you're right. We we have a lot of excited amateurs, I guess I would say, in the in the dietary supplement world. So... Uh, yeah. Okay. So yeah, I, I, I like that idea. Uh, and that's one thing I think a lot of our people don't realize if you understand the human body, yeah, you could go in lots of different directions. I mean, even just clinically massage therapy, dietetics, nursing, uh, physicians assisting. I mean, there's a lot of these sort of what I would consider sort of not to be insulting to anybody, but mid-level careers, meaning you're not going to spend a decade, you know, going through postdoc training in it. Um, but if you really love learning, there's no reason you can't slightly switch careers. I mean, I sort of did that from ex-phys to nutrition and even more specifically like food science, which is not dietetics at all. So, um, you know, there's different directions you can go with this for sure. And especially if you've got some business acumen. Um, yeah, I guess my I usually encourage people. It's not just clinical. I mean, if you want clinical, that's fantastic. Um but if not, there's lots of opportunities that are not just working one-on-one -on -one with a patient, you know, so. Yeah, and a big part of that, I think, probably depends on <clears throat> if he wants to go more of the marketing route or if he wants to stay a little bit more technical or if he wants to do something that's kind of hybrid of both of those. I think that'll kind of, if you can figure that part out, that'll eliminate some of the choices and probably make it a little bit more clear for him. Yeah. Clarity, I find, comes from shadowing people who actually do it, you know? Yeah. 
we have had a lot of people on the show before. I mean, Justin Strait, you know, people who worked at protein companies and things like that. It, it does sort of give you some insight, but yeah, obviously, shadowing stuff is is step one. Uh, just knowing that someone who you work under for a day or two or five, they might not be completely representative, but at least they're one example. You know, then before you start investing in lots of uh, tuition and stuff, but. Um, as far as some of our nutrition and science news, strength and muscle sport news. This is one that Mike and I were talking about before we pressed the record button. Everybody, um, it didn't seem that novel to me, except that I think they're using older men, not very old. Uh, but it caught my eye. The middle-aged part caught my eye. So if you're a middle-aged guy, this might be for you. Because middle-aged and older men don't always respond to protein like young men or women, you know. So this is brand new this year. Ingestion of a pre-bedtime protein-containing beverage prevents overnight-induced negative whole-body protein balance in healthy middle-aged men, a randomized trial. So this is Karagunis and colleagues, K-A-R-A-G-O-U-N-I-S. Leonidas Karagounis, it looks like. Uh, it looks like there's several French authors on this paper. This is Frontiers Nutrition. Um, basically, it says, using novel nutritional strategies to attenuate muscle losses is of great importance as people age. Uh, we aim to test if a complete dietary supplement containing 25 grams of milk proteins, so whey and casein in some combination, I'm guessing, uh, and ingested in the evening before bed with improved protein metabolism uh, in terms of whole body protein balance over a 10-hour overnight period. Uh, again, following ingestion of a test drink in healthy middle-aged male subjects. Now, they say middle age, but they say middle age, they were 59 years of age, plus or minus three. So I consider that older than middle age. Um that's a decade yeah. away from me, and I think I'm a little past middle age, but, uh, but, but not real old. You know, these guys weren't like 75 or 80. Um, conclusions were that 25 grams of milk proteins significantly reduced negative protein balance. And again, this is whole body. This isn't just muscle specific or even a subfraction of muscle like myofibrillar or something like that. This is whole body, but um, reduced negative protein balance observed during the night. Because, of course, people aren't eating during the night. They're fasting for hours on end. Uh, therefore, pre-bedtime protein ingestion may attenuate overnight losses of lean tissue in healthy elderly men. Oh, no, here they say elderly. Earlier they said middle-aged. Um, despite increases in amino acidemia, so, of course, lots of amino acids in the bloodstream, during the second part of the night, and again, especially those casein proteins are going to clot and slow gastric emptying and that sort of thing, dole out the amino acids longer. Uh, despite that, no changes were observed in the rates of muscle protein synthesis during this time. So that's interesting. Um, I don't know. Other than the middle-aged part, this doesn't see that, seem that new to me. And Mike, you were familiar with some stuff that Yorn and those guys have done. Yeah, so I believe in older men, there's only one other study that's looked at uh, older men and given them protein before uh, bed also. And in that study, which is from uh, Dr. Luke Van Loon's lab and Journal of Nutrition 2018, I was able to find it here. Uh, they looked at 41 older men, and here by older men, they define that as average age of 70, which that does correlate to some of the earlier work where they compared young men to older men. I think it was Tang, and they used an average age of 20 compared to 71, so consistent with that. Uh, they did 12 weeks of whole body resistance exercise, and they randomly assigned them to either protein, so 21 grams of protein. They, they did put 3 grams of leucine in there, 9 grams of carbs, or an energy match placebo, and they did it after exercise, and they did it each night before bed. Did all the, the cool stuff like you know, DEXA, and they even used uh, deuterium water administration and looked at a whole bunch of stuff. And what they concluded was that the protein supplement after exercise and before sleep 
uh, did not further augment skeletal muscle or strength gains during resistance exercise training in active older men. So this new study you talked about there seems to be a little bit the opposite of that. So maybe it's a training protocol, maybe it's the amount or type of protein, or maybe it's something related to age since they're using different uh, older populations there. Yeah, population specificity is important. I think we all need to be reminded sometimes that, I mean, this, the level of physical activity may be zero. Like, I'm, I wasn't reading anything about exercise in this new paper really at <laughs> yeah. all. Um, interestingly, I mean, they're not talking about elevated protein synthesis either in this one. This just says whole body protein balance. So presumably there was some impact on protein mm. breakdown. Um, but they don't specifically mention that. But gosh, they say... Uh, in the in the milk protein group before bed, the protein balance was negative 0.13 grams of protein per 10 hours. But in the placebo group, it was negative 12.2 uh, grams of protein over that 10 hour period. 12.2? Yeah, so from 0 0.13 in the treatment group negative to negative 12.2 in the you know control group. Oh, that seems super high for the control group, and I'm not the best on those types of mechanics either. But. Yeah, well, I mean, God, yeah, I mean, that's that's an enormous difference, less than one gram, <laughs> far less, a tenth of a gram versus 12 grams. Uh, so it really seemed to help here. Uh, yeah, and again, I'm just looking at the abstract here. If anybody's interested, Frontiers Nutrition, this is uh, late November 2019, so. yeah. And if people want to go down the rabbit hole, too, there's a great review article in uh, Frontiers of March 2019. Uh, the main author is uh, Dr. Tim Snyder's The Impact of Pre-Sleep Protein Ingestion on Skeletal Muscle Adaptive Response to Exercise in Humans. Um, an update, again, Dr. Luke Van Loon is the primary author at the end there from his lab. Uh, Jordan Trommelin is on there. He's been on the podcast here before, but... Uh, open access, and if people want to check out what the latest and greatest is with pre-sleep protein from March 2019, they can check that out at Frontiers. Sounds good. I would suggest, I don't want to speak for everybody here at Iron Radio, right? But what I would do when I competed, especially I was in a negative calorie status, damn right I'm going to have some kind of slow metabolizing protein in my belly before I go to sleep. Right, especially because I was always hormonally challenged compared to some of the guys I was competing against in those oh, op yeah. open competitions. I'm going to do everything I can, and we've had people on from Tromelin to Nick Bird. To, you know, there's been people on over the years that suggested, at least to me, and I've seen some other data that it doesn't really interfere much with fat oxidation. Like the insulin release probably isn't great enough to ruin any kind of fat burning effects at night. Uh, and again, this is a protein-only meal, not necessarily chugging milk. You know, that's got 12 grams of lactose carb in it. But, you know, I'm going to err on the side of preserving muscle tissue, I think. And this most recent paper here suggests that you probably would re preserve uh, some muscle tissue that otherwise might be lost during the night. Um, so, Yeah, and obviously check out the interview we did on Iron Radio with uh, Dr. Michael Ormsby. He did a lot of that research looking at... Pre-sleep protein, changes in metabolism, fat oxidation, appetite regulation the next day, and a bunch of great stuff there. And, yep, I agree. He kind of showed uh, very similar things. Yeah. Ormsby, for sure. Yeah. I love yep. it. Love it. Um, a little bit of news blurbs here, and Mike can toss in his commentary. And, again, I think that's what we try to provide here, right? Sometimes um, it, we might drone on a little bit. I, I get it, but you know, with the news comes some commentary. This this is from the Institute of Food Technologists. Brewing tea in plastic tea bags releases microplastic into your tea. So this doesn't sound good at all, but I don't know if anybody's ever seen these. I have, actually, these little sort of nylon-looking plasticky tea bags. Um, oh, yeah. Probably not a good idea. Uh, I'm really sort of a paper and glass guy when it comes to my utensils and my containers and stuff. Because yeah. of this plastic, the ubiquity, it's everywhere, you know. Um, plastic tea bags release microplastic and nanoplastic particles into brewed tea, according to researchers from McGill University. Um, it says, however, they're unsure about what health effects these particles might have. So for the experiment, the researchers used four different commercial teas uh, that were packed in plastic tea bags. 
First, they emptied and washed the bags, and then they put them in containers of heated water to simulate brewing conditions. Uh, then they used electron microscopy, uh, and they found that a single plastic tea bag steeped in a typical brewing temperature, so 95 degrees Celsius brew temperature, released 11.6 billion microplastics and 3.1 billion nanoplastics into the brewed tea. The researchers determined that the composition of the plastic particles were nylon and polyethylene terephthalate. Um, doesn't sound especially nutritious or uh, natural. No, but, doesn't uh, sound good. <laughs> right, right, doesn't sound good. Um, it says the levels of nylon and polyethylene terephthalate uh, released from the tea bag are several orders of magnitude higher than plastic loads previously reported in other foods. So that was what was sort of disturbing to me. I don't have a lot of follow-up on this one because it's the holiday season, but um, if you want to look that up, you could find that at ift.org. Uh, and again, brewing tea and plastic tea bags releases microplastic into your tea. Um, I don't know. I, I would probably avoid those sorts of things, especially because it says orders of magnitude higher. I mean, we've heard over the years, right, in the fitness wellness world about you know, don't microwave fatty foods in plastic containers and that sort of thing. And this looks like it could be even worse. So um might want to avoid that as you have your hot tea over the holidays here. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, if I'm going to heat anything, especially, I'm usually trying to use, you know, glass or something like that, too. If I, yeah. food is, like, cold and I'm not heating it and I'm just putting berries in the fridge, I don't get too... Too worried about it, but definitely uh, heating anything. So I go back to my old free uh, tea and just put it in the. Uh, I've got like a. It kind of like looks like a metal screen that you just put right. it in. Yes. I've also got a glass diffuser you can just brew on the stove too. Yeah, yeah, I have one of those type. It's got like a borosilicate glassing. It's like a carafe, mm -hmm. and I can put it right on the burner and. And it's yep. got a strainer on the pour spout. Those are all neat ideas. Or like, yeah, Kelly uses something that you talked about too, like the little mesh or like spoon type things Yeah. Um, for loose leaf tea, which is usually better <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Um, one more here before we go to break and talk about deep winter weight gain. This is weird. And Mike and I had to go look up some stuff on behalf of everyone here <laughs> to follow up on this the digestive <laughs> metabolism here. Novel Protein Bar delivers alcohol-absorbing benefits. This is also from IFT.org, uh, December of this year, so this is now. Just in time for the holiday season and happy hours, office parties, festive gatherings, etc., a company called Zeno Functional Foods uh, apparently introduced a protein bar that's specifically formulated to promote sobriety by reducing alcohol absorption. Now, this caught my eye because, again, this is sort of a holiday-themed and, and you know, eight-weight gain episode. I even knew a guy once who he would consume alcohol uh, for the extra calories. Like, he would consume alcohol really? with meals. He's like, hey, seven calories per gram. You know, I'm just it's, – it's the secret. I'm like, well, I don't know if it's the oh secret <laughs> because <laughs> – because, you know, I've seen some stuff that it could it worsen catabolism and, and things like that. It's not going to be uh, – Fully advantageous, but yeah, it would provide extra calories. In fact, I always kind of laugh at a buddy of mine who he always drinks like Miller 64 if we go out to a bar or something. And I'm like, well, at some point when there's no calories in it, that means there's no alcohol in it, dude. <laughs> yeah. Right? So any anyhow, I digress. Zeno Functional Foods is introducing this protein bar. Um, the concept apparently is designed to, quote, help address the tremendous negative influence that alcohol has on global health outcomes. Um, interesting they throw in global there. Uh, yeah. Essentially, the idea here, they say, is if alcohol sits in the stomach, it is partially inactivated due, in, due to an enzymatic action termed gastric first-pass metabolism, uh, one of the founders explains. Uh, in contrast, alcohol that gets released from the stomach to the small intestine uh, gets very rapidly absorbed because, of course, your villi are down there and they have all that surface area. Uh, they also point out in a recent clinical trial, a group of 21 healthy adults consumed either no food, one of these so bars, these special alcohol-absorbing protein bars or reducing protein bars, uh, or a popular snack mix. 
It says, or a 635-calorie meal before having two drinks. It says, as one might expect, when alcohol absorption was measured over the course of 90 minutes, the full meal had the greatest effect. And again, they say a 635-calorie meal. That's pretty paltry compared to a lot of what our people would probably eat. Yeah. You know? <laughs> That's between snack and meal, I think. But, okay, small meal uh, for us. Uh, had the greatest reduction, let's see, reducing peak blood alcohol concentration by 68% compared to no food. So eating mm. first is going to reduce the alcohol in your bloodstream. Uh, the snack mix reduced blood alcohol concentration by about 25%. Uh, and the SOBAR was in between uh, reducing alcohol in the bloodstream over this 90-minute period by 50%. Mm. My, my takeaway from this is I'm not, I'm not totally convinced there's anything super special about this bar. Um, yeah. Because the full, the well, the small-ish meal reduced it the most anyway. So, I mean, if you want to reduce the amount of alcohol, and again, presumably, right, because some of the alcohol gets broke down. If you can leave it in your gut before it gets absorbed into your bloodstream, it's going to sort of naturally get metabolized away to some extent. Uh, or stretch out the time course where it doesn't peak as high, I guess. Yeah. Uh, what do you think, Mike? Yeah, I, <laughs> I agree. I don't know if there's anything else to add. <laughs> okay. It's, I just thought it was sort of weird. They're always trying to come out with new angles on food. This bar, look, it looks a lot, just looking at the small picture, like the collagen bars that we saw when we were out in, in Tahoe. I know no, that's not the only company yeah. selling collagen and stuff, but it, it may be just um, – I don't know, a, a different twist, or a different use for something that's essentially just a food bar as opposed to anything that's super important or magical in there. I don't know. Maybe we'll see if these guys want to come on or not. And honestly, most of our our listeners probably, even the ones that drink, I mean, I like a nice Guinness now and again, you know, but yes. um, or some wine. Um, but, you know, I'm not drinking multiple times a week and stuff like that. Maybe some of our younger listeners who are partying and stuff or they just they don't mind. I mean, let's face it dietary recommendations are usually no more than two drinks a day for men or yeah. one drink for women. That's pretty regular for me. I, I mean, that would seem like a pretty regular intake more than me. Um, but, you know, okay. I just think it seems sort of weird that it, it specifically says novel protein bar when I think what might be novel is just um, an old reminder to eat before you imbibe. <laughs> so, yeah. And on a related note, the, uh, nameless uh, company the collagen bars they provided us in tahoe they were uh not so tasty and very interesting consistency and the running joke when we were i went to visit some other people there that they had lots of the collagen bars left and pretty much everyone thought they tasted horrible so i'd be interesting how the the taste of this bar is also <laughs> yeah and i don't know that's what it is like i said i'm looking at a small yeah, picture yeah. here but Oh, I know. I mean, if anybody, if listener, if, if you had a collagen bar, in fact, we should do a taste test, like along with listeners, like give everybody some heads up and say, <laughs> we're going to try these different things. And then you guys can sort of, uh, you know, contact us in real time through Facebook or something. But uh, geez, yeah, those collagen bars were like rubbery. You know, Phil was making cracks. They looked like some vaguely like a sex toy or something. Yeah. I mean, it, 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 I don't know. Very... Um, very different, man. Just collagen by itself is not a very pleasant experience in a bar no, like that. Especially when you have to make it into a bar because it has to be this kind of rubbery consistency unless you're going to put a lot of other stuff in there. I mean, yeah. You can add it as a filler and that's probably fine. But when you're trying to make a bar almost entirely collagen, it's man, you just don't have a lot of options with texture. Right. I mean... You know, you're talking about like hooves and horns. That's collagen. Yeah. I mean, that's hard. <laughs> but that doesn't sound like something you want to dine on. Yeah, for sure. No. No, for sure. Okay, well, we're going to go to break. When we come back, we're going to talk about deep winter weight gain uh, from food to sleep to anything that we can strategize uh, in this unique time of year, at least here in the Northern Hemisphere. So we'll be back. Hello there, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, yeah, you know who this is. Uh, so I'm here to tell you about uh, Dr. Mike T. Nelson's uh, new book, uh, Why You Should Eat Keto. 
I don't do it because, I mean, look at me. Come on, I'm fabulous and I'm fantastic. Anyway, you should text the Keto ebook all in one word to 44222 to receive your free copy. Do it. Do it now. Stop feeling Some of us don't understand How lucky we are To be living in this Hi listeners, this is Rob Fortress Fortney I'm here to remind you that as the holiday season approaches And your thoughts turn to giving we like you to keep Iron Rated in your thoughts Over the past several years There have been hundreds of listener comments Hoping that Iron Radio stays on the air For years to come Iron Radio is here for you But as with any public radio type format The show is listener supported that's where you come in. For just $4 a month, you become a supporting member, keeping your weekly dose of education, experts, and gym talk flowing. Just go to www.imradio.org and click on the $4 monthly subscribe button near the bottom of the page. Or click the donate button at the right of the page for a one-time donation. You are the Iron Brotherhood and Sisterhood. Of course, not everyone can afford to be a supporting member, or a significant one-time donor. But for those of you willing to pitch in $4 per month or $50 just once, we're about to sweeten the deal. Become a supporting member or major donor between now and January, and a limited number of you will receive a gift worth over $20. And we will never forget our existing supporters. Simply email me via ironradio.org, and I'll send you a free seminar from Dr. Lowry on how to significantly and realistically boost your testosterone levels. Help your iron brothers and sisters who cannot pitch in but deserve better internet programming in our sports. And happy holidays. Hey listeners, this is Dr. Lonnie Lowry. If you've ever had anyone critique you uh, on your protein intake as part of your weightlifting lifestyle, oh, you poor meathead, all that extra protein is going to rot your kidneys or weaken your bones or dehydrate you or give you gout or who knows what. Uh, there is a book available. You could simply Google CRC Press and Lowry. And what I've done is reach out to experts all over the world and create a book, a single compendium that you can hold up and say, this is why I consume extra protein. This can be very valuable when you're um, being quote unquote educated uh, by various professionals on the topic. Uh, there's enormous amount of literature in this book on the safety, uh, the effectiveness, how protein works in cells, the history of protein and weight trainers, uh, much more. So again, please check out CRC Press and Protein and Lowry. You can just Google that. And uh, I do, full disclosure, I do make a small single digit uh, royalty on the book. But that's not why I did it. I did it so we can all have something, uh, our particular population, uh, to both defend what we do and to inform our nutrition and our eating. Thanks. Iron Radio is, of course, primarily a podcast. But over the years, there have been technical glitches calling for backup streaming and listeners who wanted the convenience of other sources of audio content. Toward this end, Iron Radio is now simulcast and backed up on YouTube. If needed, please search Lawnman07 or Iron Radio from within YouTube. There's not much video, but if you like to listen through YouTube on a Roku or other living room device, there you go. Like your weekly fix of Iron Radio? In addition to being a popular institute on iTunes, we are also on email. Simply go to www.ironradio.org and sign up for the voluntary email. You'll get a once-per-week email, no more, that's little more than the show notes and a link to the audio. So go for it. <laughs> Okay. Merry Christmas, everybody. Happy holidays, uh, whatever you uh, celebrate. Mike and I are just going to talk about some uh, issues 
that could be strategized this time of year to uh, gain mass. And again, Phil is away uh, in Yellowstone, so he's you know he's probably partaking in some of this, but he's not going to want to talk about a lot of this massive weight gain stuff right now. He just <laughs> got done with a no holds barred like thirty pound weight gain in the late fall. So uh, let's talk about food first. Uh, and I want to bring up two things that I often do this time of year, especially people who say they're hard gainers. Uh, there are foods that are uniquely calorie rich this time of year. Uh, and one of the ones I love to point out is eggnog. I don't know if anybody's ever oh, yeah. re- really looked at eggnog, but you might see like it's got like four proteins, 17 carbs, and I think eight fat. Uh, but that's in a half cup <laughs> that's in four yeah. ounces so dense man man oh and i mean it's thick for a reason right but and it's not completely just carbs and fats i mean those are your energy sources but it does have some casein right and dairy proteins and whatnot so let's multiply that little number by four 16 protein 68 carbs yes it's sugar and 32 grams of fat holy mm. god Right, and that's in like a, a good sized coffee cup. This is not a huge amount, and you're drinking it right. And that's one of the tricks we often use in nutrition dietetics for tell people gain weight. Of course, is drink your calories. So I can't think of any other beverage that's going to provide at least some quality protein and do that. If you're like, wow, Lowry, no way. You know, I'm trying to be a little stricter than that. Then just use that as sort of a base in protein shakes. You know, if you like the taste of eggnogs, you can always obviously enrich the protein portion of the show by making protein shakes with eggnog. Um, but wow, yeah, like dear God, that is crazy, crazy amount of calories in a fairly small, quickly consumed uh, volume. The other one, which I think is almost as dramatic. Uh, in fact, it's one of the most calorie dense foods I've ever seen. Pecan pie. Um, oh yeah. <laughs> um according to Google, pecan pie has twenty seven grams in a small of fat in a small piece. Woo. Lots of sugar too. Oh, uh sixty four grams of sugar in a yeah. small piece. <laughs> and, and you know, they t- usually pie and our big eaters out there will laugh about this, but you know, they usually talk about like one eighth of a pie. It's like, well, I cut pies into sixes. You know, um, so it'd be much bigger than even this. It's not all saturated fat. Again, according to Google, and I mean, you can choose your diet analyzer program. It's going to be similar. About five of that is saturated fat. Fourteen is actually monounsaturated, right? Probably the pecans. Uh, But when you make something that's basically created from sugar syrups, molasses, honey, and butter, (laughs) you know. more sugar. Yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, there's some eggs and stuff like that. I don't, I don't want to start sounding like Bill Cosby, you know, when he talks about chocolate cake for breakfast. Look, he's got eggs, yeah. wheat, eggs. you know. Like eight pecans in it. Uh, so, yeah, so crazy, crazy. 500 calories in a very small piece. So let's say we had a real piece. It'd have 750, maybe 1,000 calories in a piece. So uh, those would be my two biggest, like, crazy no hold bar deep winter mass gain calorie sources right if you're just going for tons of calories and again if you want to add protein to those meals you could you know drink some milk with it or a protein shake or whatnot but um yeah why doesn't someone come out with a protein eggnog weight gainer oh yeah If you could do it, that would be pretty cool, wouldn't it? (laughs) My only suggestion to that company would be sell it in a a small-ish, like less than three-pound container because I would think that would wear thin pretty fast on your taste buds. Yeah. But hell yeah, you're right. Um, I mean, that'd be pretty easy to formulate. You have tons of calories to play with, you know. know, I don't think that would be too bad. So if someone does that, you know, keep us in mind when you end up on your island in Fiji. So we'd like to visit. There you go. Uh, there are other foods this time of year that are interesting, too. I mean, there's those little mince pies. Um, in, in fact, related foods, historically, like mince pies, fruit cake, uh, straight meat pies. Oh, man, I love Guinness meat pie, right? So, And you can do that very, actually, quickly. 
you could buy – this isn't the healthiest thing, but again, we're talking about some serious protein and calories. But you can buy the the crusts, you know, pie crusts. You just dump in a can of chunked beef uh, and then um, also beef stew just for flavoring. And then I would throw in some extra carrots or potatoes or something and just dress it up a little. Seal it off with another piece of uh, pie dough and, you know – 45 minutes later, you just brown it up because it's essentially cooked. Oh, it's just fantastic. I mean, it is heavy, serious protein and calories. I just, I love meat pies. I always got to glug in a little bit of Guinness because it just seems to go with the whole thing. But, um, but all of those things. In fact, historically, I remember uh, the story about meat. Uh, no, it was mince pies, I believe, that there was a time in England where I think it was even forbidden, maybe even illegal to eat them on Christmas Day. Um, mm. Because it it was they were considered so decadent that it was a move to try to <laughs> to try to slow gluttony, um, but you know that's interesting that the government would have would get involved insofar as that's true and maybe a listener can remind me about my old nutrition history stuff but uh, insofar as that's true boy you'd never see that in America these days right the marketers are never yeah. going to say consume less of our product <laughs> no that's so, not going to happen maximal gluttony is what we're after here in the states these days I, I feel like you know but um, so yeah those are some of the things that I think about a lot um, obviously yams and potatoes I'm a big fan of them as carbohydrate sources uh, to be yeah. honest and maybe it's just because of the availability like I eat way more potatoes as like a main uh, starchy carb in the winter than I do in the summer. Like summer, I tend to have a little bit more white rice. And I don't know, maybe it's because I'm somewhat conditioned to that of going to Costa Rica. We have a ton of white rice, you know, down there. We have potatoes a little bit once in a while. But yeah, and like just recently, my family bought what they buy, like 100 pounds of potatoes from a farmer up north for like 40 bucks or something. Oh, <laughs> so yeah. It's like ungodly cheap. Dirt cheap. So, yeah, yeah so we have plenty of potatoes and and onions. And again, maybe part of that was as a kid, we had a, a huge like two acre garden we'd always have. And we would plant just multiple rows of potatoes. So we always ate potatoes all the time in the winter. Yeah, I mean, I, I know that in your household, you're avoiding certain foods and that kind of stuff. But I mean, just from a traditional bodybuilding perspective, potatoes and yams are staples. Oh, yeah. Of I mean, they work, you know, not only I mean gluten-free, tons of potassium. I don't think most people realize a, a good-sized potato, it'll have more potassium than a, a banana. I mean, people always default to bananas, but po potatoes are rock and loaded with potassium. Obviously, yams are going to have vitamin A slash beta carotene. You know, these other kinds of benefits. So um, this is the time of year, you know, you can dive into that. Um, yeah, big tip I found, too, with cooking sweet potatoes is, I think it was, you might know, too, Lonnie, like, 400 425 just scrub the outside put them in the oven i think it's for 20 or 30 minutes and then just turn the oven off and usually i just do it when i'm at home so usually when i can start to smell the sweet potatoes are probably getting pretty close put a little piece of tinfoil on the bottom in case they leak a little bit in your oven and then i can bake like 12 or so at once and then i just put them in a ceramic uh, glass container and just literally just stick them in the fridge with the peels and everything on and then when you take them out, the peels will just automatically separate from the, the potato after they cool because they contract and they just separate. So if you don't like eating the peels, then it's super easy to just remove those and heat them up and you're good to go. That's a good tip for pre-prep. 12 at a time? Hell yeah. Yeah, and you don't have to do anything. Once you, you know, I usually will eat the peels a lot of times, so I'll scrub them and make sure they're clean. But if you're someone who doesn't eat them, you probably, <laughs> probably don't even have to go that far and because I, I used to have this pain in the ass of like trying to peel them when they're all like soft and it was just a mess. And one day I got frustrated and I just threw them all in the fridge. <laughs> and the next day I took them out. I'm like, oh, because they contract <laughs> when they cool, then it, the peelings just literally just fall right off. Them. Right. Aha. Uh -huh. Yeah. Good. Uh. <laughs> uh, you know, here's another trick thinking about that is it's something that uh, my wife does. And I'm going to, again, uh, sort of. um a caveat or, or warning in advance, go look this up, everybody. I'm not telling you to do this because you could do it wrong, but uh, she'll put a whole turkey in the oven. She'll set preheat the oven to 500, yes, that high, 
put a whole turkey in there. You got to make sure you keep the oven closed, but you walk away for six to eight hours, roughly, depending on the size of the size of the bird. Uh, and it makes it perfect. It comes out perfect. You huh. didn't fuss. All you did was jack up the heat, put the bird in, and then walk away. And it makes really succulent turkey. It will cook it through. Uh, if you don't believe me, again, go look this up. And again, I'm not telling anybody to eat undercooked poultry. Not at all. But go explore this. Google it. You know, the the whole turkey 500 degree trick. You know, um, amazing when it comes to something like pre-prep. And this isn't just something you would do on Christmas Day, right? Or New Year's or whatever. Uh, I don't think I would do this with a ham. Although hams are pre-cooked usually when you get them. But um, I wouldn't do the whole turkey trick um, only on Christmas. It's a kind of thing where if it's that easy, right? In the morning before work, you could preheat the oven really high, put a, a good medium to semi-large sized bird in there. And then when you get off of work, you come home, there it is. And you've got, you could have meat for days. So uh, I, I don't know why we only eat turkey, like specifically for Thanksgiving or Christmas here in the States. It seems like we do, uh, other than lunch meat and that sort of thing. But lunch meat's got its own problems. We've been talking about that lately. Um, so going for the less processed, uh, forms of just almost pure protein, you know, it's, it's just a good way to go. And this is not a frozen Turkey, correct? <laughs> Anybody listening? <laughs> uh, yeah, I'd have to, again, just go, go look up all the details. Okay. You can find yeah. this. What really enamored me was Jack the oven, put it in and walk away. Like that's yeah, just doesn't win. Get much easier than that. That is just win. Yeah. Yeah. Another cool tip, too, for people if they want to double-check the temperature of any meats or anything that they're cooking or even just, you know, boiling temperature for coffee or tea, the little laser uh, thermo thermometers, I guess you could say, you just point it at and it's got the little laser and it'll tell you the temperature of anything. So you don't even have to have any direct contact with it. It's a little uh, beam that does it. And I think they're like 14 or 15 bucks on Amazon. We kind of bought it initially as a joke just because I thought I was I wanted to play around with temperatures of different things, especially like water for recovery and stuff. And I found that, wow, this is like super handy. You just point it at the thing oh. and it tells you the temperature of everything. And it's super useful. Would that only be surface temperature? I mean, that's not going to get down an internal temperature in the meat, right? Right. It's just whatever the little laser is on is going to tell you the temperature. But if you're not sure, what it will do is we'll take some chicken off. We'll just cut it in half and point it at the, you know, the center part. Um, you can't really, it's not penetrating. Yeah. So whatever it's actually right. on is what's going to give you the temperature of. Correct. Got you. Still super handy. Yeah. 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 And the nice part is there's, there's nothing to wash. There's nothing to do because you're, you know, there's no quote unquote touching of it. So if you are worried about making sure everything's nice and clean, it makes it easy. Yeah. I need one of those. Cause we do that with the coffee research. We, you know, we brew at a certain temperature and, yeah. and we just use, you know, almost sometimes we'll just use a mercury thermometer and just put it in the stream of water and stuff. But yeah, just the fact that you don't have to touch anything is, is cool. Yeah. Um, uh, just kind of winding this holiday discussion down a little other things that I think happen this time of year. I've really noticed this because I, I have stayed put for about two months. Uh, and I know Mike, you haven't. So but if you would have stayed in Minnesota, I'm guessing you'd feel this too. But the days have been very dark and short. Um, yes. And you might think, well, that's just nothing but depressing. That's nothing but bad. But it actually presents an opportunity to sleep more. Um, so long as you turn off the bluish screen on your laptop in your face at 10 p.m., you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> um, or earlier. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, a sleep PR, it, it sounds funny, but in today's stressful world where people don't sleep enough, I, I think almost in general, I mean, that's, this is painting with a broad brush, I know, but people just don't sleep enough. And if you can literally, if it's dark by, well, here it's been dark by like 6 p.m. I mean, that's oh, yeah. crazy. Uh, so there's no reason if you could keep a, a bright computer screen away from your face, you couldn't take a melatonin and noodle down at like 8 p.m. I know it sounds like an old man, but early to bed, early to rise a few times or just pull like literally a shameless nine or 10 hour night of sleep. Um, I think it, it prevents an, uh, presents an opportunity. I don't, what's your thoughts about uh, sleep cycles in the winter and all that, Mike? I know you know a lot about diurnal stuff. Yeah, no, I 
totally agree. I mean, it was started about four years ago, and it probably took me, if I'm honest, about a year to just kind of redo my whole, basically, life in terms of priority <laughs> and, you know, trying to make it a priority of just going to bed earlier because I, you can do a little fun experiment. It's not always the easiest thing to do, but I'm like, okay, if I, I'm going to get up at, say, 6 in the morning, you know, lately I've been getting up at 5.30 or earlier, then how early on the backside do I need to go to bed where I can wake up before my alarm goes off? And I've just found over the years, I've always been one of these people that just kind of needed a lot of sleep, although I didn't do it when I was getting my PhD, which probably explains why I torched myself for like two years after that. Um, and just tracking it, I you know need about nine and a half, sometimes 10 hours of time actually in bed. And lately it's been easier in the winter because it gets dark so early. Uh, it also is a little bit easier to sleep in a little bit later. So I'm trying to get up around the same time. So in the morning, I bought one of those cheap kind of knockoff uh, Philips clocks that actually gets brighter in the morning. Oh. Mm -hmm. um, and I like that. So I don't quite get so jarred out of bed. Um, I also purchased an Uller, which is made by the company The Chili Pad. Again, I don't have any disclosures with them. It's cool water that goes underneath your mattress. You can change temperature at night also, and mm. you can have it induce temperature changes to help with sleep of when you go to bed and when you get up. Uh, obviously, light makes a big difference. So I've been playing around with some red light in the morning, as mentioned in the past, uh, trying to limit blue light in the evening, or even wearing what we call our little mole glasses, have the tinted uh, orange or yellow. And then also I noticed in Costa Rica, they don't really change that much because they're so close to the equator, you know, whether it's winter or summer, or it's, I think it only varies by like 30 minutes. Wow. But it gets dark like super early. And when it gets dark, like it'll be, oh, look, the sun's kind of going down. All of a sudden, 10 minutes later, it's dark. <laughs> and my buddy Ben House's place is literally in the middle of the jungle. So you don't have a lot of uh, extraneous lights from anything else either. And down there, granted, we were doing a a cute study where we were training full body exercises, you know, to volitional fatigue, nine and a half RPE out of 10 for four days in a row. So definitely a lot of exercise. It took us about two hours per group to get through. And I was one of the people helping and one of the subjects in the study, too. And I remember like the third night, I'm like, man, I'm so tired. I'm like, what time is it? And we just did some meditation stuff. I'm like, oh, it's 715. I'm like, I'm just going to bed. I don't care. Wow. Nice. <laughs> and a couple of nights, I literally was going to bed at 7.30, 8 o'clock, and I would get up around you know 5.30. Because uh, on the flip side, when it gets bright in the morning there, it gets like super bright like right away. Um, but yeah, I've you know, had clients do the same thing. I'm like, if it's you know winter, it's easier, I think, to sleep longer because you have less of the, the ambient light. And then you notice this too, like when we went to Tokyo, that definitely is early in the morning, the sun comes up. Or if you go to, in the US, we were to Alaska a couple of years ago, and it was around June, and that gets pretty crazy. So you also see the inverse there. Finland was the same in August, you know, it was still very bright at, at 10 o'clock at night, and you just, you just end up, tend up staying, staying up later. So yeah. takeaway of all that rambling is, I think, if People just pay attention to it, and if they can, I mean, winter I think is a good time with the light being darker earlier just to start getting more sleep, and it makes it easier to go to bed earlier So a lot of people can't change what time they get up. Yeah, Everything's already dark outside, and just keep pushing that earlier and earlier, and you know, everyone I've, who's successfully done that little experiment has just reported that they feel so much better over time. Yeah, agreed. That's been my experience too. Like, oh, old man went to sleep at eight o'clock, but well, you know, I I've been getting I up at care. I've been yeah <laughs> right. Plus, I've been getting up at like four thirty this past uh, oh, semester. Yeah, that's brutally uh, or, early, or or even before. And yeah, it's for me. If if you're up before five a.m., that's the night before. Good on you. Oh yeah. <laughs> I mean, if you have to, if you have to. Um, but absolutely. Uh, so yeah, I guess it's just the, the point is there are opportunities here, uh, for people. I, I don't think that it's been traditional for weight gain, um, for bodybuilders and power lifters or strong man or what have you. It's not random that right now is the off season. Oftentimes, like I would hate to try to diet for a show. I know sometimes Phil will diet in his life 
his past at least, he's dieted in the middle of all this, you know, uh, almost specifically to go against the grain. But there are some opportunities here that are not just cosmetic. Like I know a lot of people don't want to get too sloppy and walk around in the summer like jiggling all over the place. But <laughs> but at the same time, yeah, the short days, the holidays and all the food, these ridiculously high uh. calorie foods. Even I take advantage of this and I don't know if listeners feel this way, but I like midday lifts. The gym is empty. Uh, Now, I'm a teacher, right? So I'm off right now for Christmas for a couple of weeks. But after being robbed of decent training for the past month and a half, at least, I am reveling in it, man. You know, because it's not early in the morning. I feel like my joints, my back and everything are kind of ready to go by, you know, late morning. I literally go to the gym at like noon. Oh, yeah. There's nobody there. Uh, and so that's another opportunity too. We did an episode, oh my God, in our early days about when do you prefer to work out? And there's some interesting evidence-based stuff in that one about early morning lifters versus evening lifters. I actually like neither. I like midday uh, if I can get away with it. And this is a time of year that I can do that too. I, I got, <laughs> I just went, did some light squats. Comp- I mean, compared to what our listeners would think is heavy, just light squats. And I, my butt and my legs were so sore I could barely move for days and because I, I was just kind of reveling in it you know like oh I also uh, get to lift uh, uninterrupted and I know not everybody can do that it's sort of work related but uh, it's another, yeah. another bonus I mean I, I figured that out probably man 15 years ago like my ideal time to lift was always mid-afternoon you know, in college, I would do it later just because I would stay up super late because I had stuff I needed to get done. And I didn't have a class till nine a lot of times. And then I remember one of the when I worked at a med tech company, we didn't have a gym there for a while. So I had to go off site. And so the best thing was when I changed one of the projects, I asked the guy, I said, hey, do you mind if I take like, you know, an hour to two hours for lunch just to get to the gym, train and come back? I said, I'll, you know, I'll stay later on the other end. I said, I'm not I'm not trying to cheat you of any hours or anything like right, that. Right. And he's like, yeah, man, I don't care. Take as much time as you need, you know, as long as you get all your stuff done. He's like, I don't care. That was so nice to have that break of like two hours in the afternoon, just mentally go there, lift. No one's around, get everything done, take a shower, come back. And then I could, you know, work for another four to five hours. And I just even now, like my ideal time to lift is probably like one o'clock. Yeah, I literally like try to redo my entire schedule so i that's one of the reasons i get up earlier so i'll have you know five maybe six hours of uninterrupted time to get some work done right you yes. know go lift take a break get some food and then i'll just do more uh, emails stuff like that and but I mean, everyone has a different time now i'll do some light stuff and do some rowing in the morning just as part of a, a wake-up type thing but you know heavier volume based stuff i definitely find that uh, mid-afternoon is better and there is something too about winter months that even at that time in Minnesota or in Ohio, it's still light out. There's just something yeah. weird about exercising when it's dark that, I don't know, I just don't feel as good. <laughs> right. Well, in midday stuff, you can caffeinate. You could do stuff that I would never yes. do in the evening, you know. Totally. Uh, and it just adds to the to the whole mix. Yeah, for sure. And it's a great tip about the two hours. I've never found it um, satisfying or even doable to try to rush off and you know, lift for a half an hour, put my work clothes oh, back so on. Hard. I'm back in my dress shirt and, and, you know, and my sport coat and stuff by 1230 or one o'clock. I, I, I never feel right again. You've got to give yourself a block to ramp up, do it. And then I'd, I really would like to personally get, get home and get clean. I know some people are fine with the locker room thing, but yeah, I don't, I don't really want to put my work clothes back on all wrinkly at that point, <laughs> all that kind of yeah. stuff. And this time of year, I don't have to, you know, so yet another good reason to put all that food to work you know with some nice hard training yeah the nice part with that too is you've had some food already which i find i usually tend to lift better i'm a little bit more awake i get a nice mental uh break you can use you know caffeine if you're using some stimulants or things like that and it doesn't really disrupt your sleep i know there's been a couple studies now out uh, uh greg knuckles has talked about this too that Heavier exercise before bed, you know, doesn't seem to interfere with sleep. But man, every time I've ran that experiment, like it, it at least for me personally, it does tend to interfere with my sleep, even if I'm not having caffeine or stimulants or anything. Especially if it's a, 
a heavier session. I can get away doing light stuff. I can get away doing cardio. But, you know, for me, like once it starts getting past five or six, if I'm trying to go to bed super early, I just find that I have a very hard time falling asleep. It may be that you're older, too. Uh, I say that because I used to be able yeah. to – I felt like I really burned through some of the caffeine when I was younger. Or, But two things. One, of you know better than I do. By the time you're middle-aged, your sleep is poorer in general. But also yes. – uh, I was, I've been reading stuff lately, whether it comes to cardiovascular or prostate health or all these things. Um, and I'm not sure women do it to the same extent, but you start leaning toward this sympathetic bias as you get older. Yes. And that's not cool, right? Not no. if you're trying to sleep. <laughs> anyway, um, like there's a time for that. And my whole life when I was younger, I'm like, yeah, you know, blow off the doors, caffeinate, lift crazy, lift hard. Well, yeah, but if your body naturally leans sympathetic, you got to find attractive ways to get rid of that. And eating and sleeping is something you've really got to start to focus on, or it kind of runs away with you, and you end up with more like on the stress negative side of all that sympathetic drive. So. Yeah, and we see that looking at HRV with age. Right? HRV with age generally goes down. Uh, mm -hmm. No one's entirely sure of the mechanism, but when it's going down, that means you are becoming more sympathetic. And I know, like, especially this past year, I even did more cardiovascular stuff than I've ever done before. And what I found was, like, my deep sleep is better, my REM sleep is better, my concentration is better. I don't really enjoy doing aerobic training, especially on the rower. I wouldn't say it's anything I look forward to, per se. Um, but I do like the effects of it. And my HRV overall has actually started going up the last year and a half. Oh. Uh, especially compared to where it was before. And lately, it went up even again once I did more aerobics and did some other stuff too. So I think it, especially for lifters, as you're you're aging, if you're noticing it's harder to transition, like it's harder to get kind of amped up for lifting and it's harder to kind of relax on the other end, you know, just some very easy, even moderate, long duration, kind of boring cardio, depending on where your levels are at, might be super helpful for that for just basic health parameters too. Right on. Definitely. Okay. Well, there's some personal uh, anecdotes, suggestions, um, yeah. fun foods. Try to take advantage, right, of this because we are deep winter right now. Even if you're not in uh, an area where there's snow up to your waist, again, the days are probably shorter for you unless you're down on the equator, like Mike was saying. Um, you know, maybe some tips while you're hanging out, eating your turkey, eating your eating your pecan pie, and listening to Mike and I yeah. talk about, hey, go for it. We're, we're going to give you license to do it. Yeah, you have your, your meat pie with your pecan pie for dessert with your turkey, and you uh, wash it down with your eggnog. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Everybody's going to be like super heavyweights by February. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, happy holidays, everybody. Merry Christmas, whatever yes. holiday you know that you uh, enjoy, and we'll see you next weekend. Yep. Hey listeners, have you seen the store at ironradio.org? There are three halls in the store. One for Phil, one for Fortress, and one for myself, Dr. Lowry. And they're thematic. So you can go into our Halls of Iron store and choose based on your goal. If you need something to learn or read or something nutritional, you can look in my store. Uh, Lonnie's store. If you want something about injury prevention uh, or competition, then take a look at Phil's Hall of Iron. And if you want something about motivation or daily training, Fortress's Hall has what you're looking for. There are some fun heroic descriptors uh, as you browse through the stores. So we try to make it a little more fun than the average boring online store. And whether you're a novice lifter or someone more experienced, you can take heart that you're not wasting your time. The things that we put in each hall of iron are actually based on our own recommendations. Protein powders that we know to be good. 
uh, knee sleeves, wraps of some kind, things that Fortress uses in his own training. Uh, the stuff you, you see, you know is good. This way you don't waste time. So check out the Iron Radio store at ironradio.org and um, let us know what you think on the forums and certainly you can request products and we will uh, screen them before they go in. So thanks for listening. Iron Radio is accepting donations. If you like what we do, the professors, the scientists, the bodybuilding show promoters, the athletes themselves in powerlifting and bodybuilding, um, please consider making a donation or maybe buying something from the ironradio.org store. Uh, We also are accepting supporting members. So for $4 a month, which is frankly less than the bank sneaks out of your account in fees, you can step up and support a form of sort of public radio for the bodybuilding and powerlifting and strength community. The Iron Radio podcast and all of the audio on ironradio.org is for informational purposes only. If you're interested in starting a diet or exercise program, it's important to check with your physician. Also seek the help of registered dietitians, athletic trainers, and qualified exercise physiologists in order to make the progress that you need.